Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to, to Matthew chapter 12. We began that last week um, and, and decided to just sit and talk about the Sabbath. It was one of those things where um, I was kind of trying to be creative and then I didn't realize how much I needed it. And then also from the conversations I had this last week, how much it was needed in general. And so I hope that this last last week as we discussed uh, the idea of Sabbath and, and that we live a lifestyle, a rhythm, a lifestyle of worship, I hope that that was something that actually set in for you this week. And I hope you actually... Um, saw a little bit about that in your life. Um, before we begin, I guess I just want to ask you a quick quick question. This isn't rhetorical, but um, probably will end up being rhetorical because you're not going to answer it. But what are you hiding behind? And the reason why I ask it like that and I say leave it kind of vague is because I think after studying this text and where Jesus is going and, and, and he uses the Sabbath as an example, I feel like the Sabbath in essence is is, is a teaching tool for this actual section, and it has less to do with the Sabbath. But what, what would you say you are hiding behind? Meaning, what, what do you use, what religious tradition in your life do you use to justify your lack of mercy or compassion? What religious tradition are you using to excuse your lack of mercy? Let me say it differently. For, for maybe for the, for the religious leaders, we'll get there, they use the Sabbath, but but are, are you using church attendance as a, as a means to justify the lack of relationship with the people God has around you? Are you using religion as a way to excuse the lack of compassion and mercy in your life? And see, I think that's kind of where the text goes this week in Matthew chapter 12. And so read that, we'll, we'll dig in. I, my assumption is, as I, as I looked at it, um, I had this... Uh, this leadership team meeting where we'd meet once a month and we kind of, the point of the meeting was is to, to figure out how to better lead this church. It's a group of people that I, I submit, were submitted to each other and it's really, really beautiful and it's this awesome thing and we try and do it once a month and so if you miss a month, you know, you, you don't see them for a couple months and I got a call about, it's about four months ago, I got a call from one of the guys on the leadership team. He says, hey, hey Brent, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it tonight. Um, because I need to go uh, meet with this couple. Now, this couple had called me earlier that day, and they were in a really, really tough spot. And, and I had asked them, like, well, do you need to meet today, or can we meet? Um, I, can't, I can't do it tonight because I have a leadership meeting, but can we do it, can we do it tomorrow or another day? That, Actually, you know what? Let's just get together next week. It's, it's not that big a deal is what they told me. Um, but when they talked to this other, uh, this other guy, they um, they'd share with him that it was exceptionally um, a big, big, big issue and a big thing in their life. And so, so he calls me. He's like, hey, Brent, I'm not going to make it. And I, <laughs> because I'm, I'm holy, I'm like, dude, this is the leadership meeting. And this is, you know, this is really important. And, you know, you have to, you have to be there. You, you committed to this. We knew this was going to happen. Like, we're going to meet and, and discuss on how we can better love people. And, and, and then I hung up the phone and I was like, but you, do, you know, but do whatever you, you want to do. Like, you know, it's up to you. Kind of that. <laughs> Horrible, horrible thing. And it took about 30 seconds. I think my wife actually um, was the, the quickest one to go, well, isn't, isn't that kind of the, the point of what you're doing? And I was like, oh, yeah. And so I started thinking about it. And it, I would love to say it was three minutes later I called him, but probably longer because I toiled with myself and I'm selfish at times. And Called him back, and I was like, dude, you've got to go be with them. He's like, good, because I was already going <laughs> anyways. <clears throat> so you can see the kind of leadership I have around here. No, um, 
And, <laughs> and he's like, I was going anyways. I'm like, man, it's uh, such a good thing. How, how wrong of me to assume that us sitting in a room talking about how to love people better is way more justifiable than you actually going and loving someone and being there for someone. And, and so that's something most recent in my life. My assumption, though, is, is that there's a number of things in your life where you have excused relationship, you've excused sacrifice, you've excused mercy at the cost of people. You, you've, you've just removed it from your life, and it's costing the very people around you, and you've used religious tradition. You've used church, you've used Bible theology, you've used whatever, and you, you use this stuff, these good things, these things that were intended for absolutely beautiful good things at the expense of people around you. So look at me with chapter 12, Matthew. We're going to read through it real quick. It's a long section here. At that time, Jesus, so it was just after Jesus said, come to me, I will give you rest for your souls. And so at that time, around that moment, the, probably the next day or, or close to it, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said, Tim, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is, it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you, have you not read in the, law on how, on, in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Then he went on from there and entered, entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And then we get this little note from the author. So that they might accuse him. So they're setting Jesus up here, right? So that they might accuse him. Which one of you, so then Jesus says to him, sorry, which one of you, if he has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. And so we have this, we have this section going where Jesus is, is walking on the Sabbath. And I just want to pause for a moment because I think it's kind of comical that the Pharisees or the religious leaders are, are trying to figure out a way to condemn Jesus and his, his disciples. And so they're probably following Jesus. Now, we, we just talked about last week how the Sabbath, there were a ridiculous amount of rules in what, what it meant to, to follow the Sabbath. The rabbis had added and added and added. And so you could only walk so many steps. So, so Jesus walking through the grain fields and doing this was a break of the Sabbath. In fact, one of the rules was that you couldn't winnow a thresh or you couldn't do any kind of um, harvesting of anything. And they would say that by grabbing the grain and, and, sque- and separating it out like that, that was considered winnowing. And so you have, you have broken the Sabbath rules. And so he was walking along the way, and Jesus reminds him of, of two things. Deuteronomy 20, 23 talks about how you can, it's not stealing to take food from, as you're passing by from the fields, as long as you only take for yourself to fill, and you don't put it in your bag. So they didn't break any rules by stealing, but then Jesus reminds them of David and his followers when they were running from Saul. 
And we see that story back in 1 Samuel. And, and, and David running, they're running for the life from Saul. And they, they enter into this place and they're hungry. And the priests give them the bread to eat. And this bread was, was consecrated for just them and them alone. They weren't supposed to eat it. And they gave it to him. And what's unique about Jesus saying this is first off, he's saying, look, David did it. Now, David to all these religious leaders was, I mean, like, oh, it's David. He's, he's the man. He's awesome. He, he can't do anything wrong. And so they follow him, and they, they knew that he was the one that was about. So like, well, yeah, David could do that. But by Jesus making this statement, he instantly puts himself in parallel with David. And he says, look, look, David and his followers did it. And so he's saying, look, I and my followers are doing it as well. And so as if that wasn't confrontational enough, if, if, if that was a, a little plea to, to him being deity, he says something that is here is greater than the temple. Now the temple was a huge visual for the, for the Jews. And that was where the holiness place, that was it. And he's saying something greater than the temple. So their blood's starting to stew. And then just to seal the deal, if Jesus wanted to guarantee to have animosity and, and opposition, he says, in fact, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. In fact, I'm in charge of the Sabbath. So he basically looks at him and he hits them kind of in the face a couple times like, have you not read, which was a, a really direct and, and somewhat harsh, I mean, apparently sinless because Jesus can do that, but direct way to say to them like, you should know this. The, 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 the rules that you're instilling on these other people, you're, you're reading out of the text, the same thing I'm doing that I've read right here. So haven't you read that? And so he goes back to pointing back to there, why they didn't mess up. Now, what's intriguing is he goes on into the synagogue. Again, these Pharisees somehow are following Jesus and not breaking the Sabbath. So they're, they're trying to condemn him. But there they're apparently were some rules in there where they could Maybe they had some written in something where they could be enforcers of the Sabbath. And so they were following Jesus, and they were breaking the Sabbath rules by following him. But they, they go into this, and they're in, this, in the synagogue, and there's this man with a withered hand there. Now, again, you can read into the text a little bit, but how he got there, was he there for a while, or did he come to the synagogue on the Sabbath, which would have been a, a kind of him breaking the rule, but he was, he was at the synagogue with a withered hand. And, and, and I love what the, what the Pharisees do here because they pose a question and, and Matthew lets us in on the secret of them trying to entrap Jesus. But they, they ask Jesus this question that, that assumes a lot about who he is. Right? The, the first question they, they ask him is like, they're like, well, is it lawful to heal? Essentially, essentially it's like they're going, hey, Jesus, you going to heal this dude? which presumes a lot. First off, that they believe that Jesus could heal. So they've kind of succumbed to that. Jesus was obviously capable of doing it. And so then they go, okay, well, what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to entrap Jesus because we're going to put him between what we know he wants to do, which is kind of comical that they, they saw this in him. He wants to extend compassion and love for those that are needing and healing. But he's going to have to do it at the cost of the Sabbath. And so what they're trying to do is, is, is give themselves reasons, justifiable reasons, to hate him more and to, to kill or to destroy Jesus. And so they pose this question. Like, hey, Jesus, is it, is it lawful to, to heal on the Sabbath? And I love what Jesus does because Jesus doesn't just, he doesn't really answer their question. He does what he does so well. He answers their question with another question. He puts it into a hypothetical. And we don't know any of the kind of a parable idea. We don't know if there's any written 
laws at this time, there was nothing that basically would say if one of your livestock had fallen in a hole on the Sabbath that you were okay to lift because lifting them out would have broken the Sabbath rules and, and you would have been, you'd been condemned by that. And so we don't know if there was something written in there. We have no idea. But Jesus goes to the heart and he says, look, if, if your sheep fell in a hole on the Sabbath, if your, if your sheep fell in the hole, you, wouldn't, you, wouldn't you save it? Wouldn't you find a reason to save it and bring it out? And I kind of picture the Pharisees going, well, yeah, I guess I, guess I would. Because, see, here's the thing. Sheep were, were a livelihood. They were food. They were, they were clothing. This was an expense. And so, that, yeah, yeah I, guess we, I guess we would, would raise, raise them out. Then Jesus poses this question, well, how much greater is a man than a sheep? And what I love is in the, in the New Testament, over and over and over again, we get this picture of us being sheep. As followers, we are sheep. And, we, and we, God paints this, weaves this picture of us being sheep and Jesus being the great shepherd. And so in an instant, he's, he's claiming to be a priest. He's claiming to be a deity. He's, he's, he's claiming all these things. But then he comes back to this moment going, it's personal. This isn't some random dude with a withered hand in the synagogue. This is personal to me. This is, this, is, this is my sheep. I'm a shepherd. So who in their right mind wouldn't do that? What's interesting about this and what I mean, it makes it hard to talk about is that this person didn't have a life-threatening ailment. It was his hand. Now, he would have had a really difficult time living. He would have been ostracized from a lot of different communities. But it wasn't like if his hand didn't heal today that like, he would have died tomorrow. But, so when we read the text, it's like, mm. I mean, yeah, there's this guy in, the, in the, there that he needed his hand healed. But I bet to that guy, I bet it was a pretty big deal that he stretched out his hand. I bet to him, every single day he woke up, every single time he tried to grab something, every single time he interacted with someone or had to beg and could only beg with the one hand, every single time was a reminder of his shortcomings, his failures, his inability to live in society. So every single minute in that space was another moment of, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I'm messed up, I'm a mistake. And what Jesus did in this moment at the expense of this huge crowd watching and the Pharisees trying to attack him. He says, look, I'm not, I'm not, he, it wasn't like he came in and said, I don't believe in the commandments. I don't believe in keeping the commandments. He's, it, Jesus has already elevated the commandments beyond what we could do, but his point was is the commandments were never set in place to ostracize or hate or divide or, or hurt people. In fact, if you look at the commandments, the Ten Commandments, the big ones, the first three to four are essentially like loving God and the rest of them are how we can love each other. So the purpose of the commandments was to extend and to experience love with one another. And so Jesus says, you know what, stretch out your hand. And he doesn't just heal some random person. He doesn't just heal a, an unknown out there. He enters into relationship with this person and says, this is my sheep. And he's hurting. And he's too important to wait till tomorrow. And then it's almost like in a moment, he looks at these people and he's like, you arrogant, self-righteous people, how dare you hide behind religious traditions at the expense of my people? And I can't help but feel like that is us over and over and over again. 
We keep checking boxes of religious activity. We keep going, man, I, I am so busy, I can't stop. I can't tell you how many times that I've had that thought, like, oh, that person's on the side of the road. It's really cold out there. I've got a hot cup of coffee I need to go get and just drive. That sounds shallow. It's not that bad, but you get what I'm saying. The point is, is a lot of times we, we experience our own life and our own, we become so self-righteous, so entitled, so, so right, that we start using these religious activities and, and, and forgive the church for giving us programs and programs and programs. We get so busy doing church stuff, it costs the very people that are around us. We get so busy, you know, working for God that we forget that He has people in our lives that need Him. And yeah, maybe we aren't looking at a guy with a withered hand that's it's trying to figure out how to stretch his hand out, but the difference between that and us is that we have the hope of the living God inside of us as children of Him. We have been healed of our sins. We have been deemed righteous by His works. And so when I interact with the person at the coffee shop or my family member or someone that I work with or whatever it may be, when I interact with them, they are in need of that hope, that healing. And the problem is a lot of us, because of religious tradition, we go, ah, that can wait till tomorrow. There's no sense of urgency. I know you don't have the hope of Christ and, and you have no peace and I, I get, you know, it really stinks, but that, that can wait till tomorrow. I'm, I don't feel, I'm not feeling really comfortable to talk about it right now. Or it's really inconvenient because I got, I got places to be and I'm important. And we start using religious activity at the cost of the people that matter most. What Jesus was doing in this situation is he wasn't saying the Sabbath wasn't valuable and beautiful because it was, and we, we talked about that rest. What he was doing is saying, stop using me at the expense of people. Stop putting this guilt and this shame on the people that were created in my image. So stop it. This is why we decided today to do our Serve Sunday with the Thanksgiving feast instead of going out and doing it at the, with the nonprofits like we normally do, which we love doing, and we go and spend time, and we close down the doors, and that's great. The reason why we wanted to do it here and do it this way is because I felt like it was time for us to stop just checking a box and doing something for someone and start entering into real relationship. So some of you are like, wait, I, I signed up to just kind of pass out some food. That's great. You're going to pass out some food, but then I want you to sit down at the table, and I want you to actually get into relationship with people. See, the kingdom of God isn't, this may shock you because we're in Idaho, the kingdom of God isn't middle-class white 2.5 kids person. The kingdom of God has every single race, people all over involved. And I feel like a lot of times we justify our hate and we use God's name for it. Think about it. So many of us right now, we're like, you don't believe what I believe. And so instead of entering into a conversation or a relationship or showing them the love of Christ, and I'm not saying water down truth. I'm not saying any of that. But I'm saying instead of hammering someone across the head with truth, we, we justify because, well, I'm saved and you're wrong. Therefore, I can hate you. We, we, use, we use our theology 
as a practice to just attack, attack, attack. In fact, I, you know what? This is, it's, it's horrible on, on social media, but we continue to crucify people when they've already had someone crucified for them. We continue to waylay because it's like, well, they disagree with what I disagree or they don't believe. And we start using our theology to justify hate. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't have a, a good conversation. It doesn't mean that we don't point to truth. But we have we, we to stop using theology as a reason to hate. Stop hiding behind what we believe and justifying treating someone as less than. Because that sounds an awful lot like what the Pharisees were doing here. And I can't help but think that Jesus would go, hey, Brian, come here, buddy. Sit down right here. And he'd look at me and say, hey, hey, I love the sacrifice thing you're doing, but you keep forgetting the mercy. You keep forgetting that, that, that I desire mercy. You keep forgetting that, that I, I, I want to give compassion. That's the very reason that's the very reason why the Pharisees asked this question of Jesus because they knew he was compassionate. They had seen him over and over again not ignoring the needs of individuals. One individual at a time, God was making his kingdom through Jesus. And so they pulled on his compassion strings like, yeah, all right, let's do this. Stretch out your hand. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Let's go. Come on. And essentially saying, hey, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not against church attendance. I'm not against you guys giving money. I'm not against you guys serving or doing these things. I'm, I'm not against any of this, and he isn't either. The point is a lot of times we use that busyness and that stuff so that we can keep ourselves at an arm's distance from the very people that God wants us to be in relationship with. We justify. We justify the lack of mercy in our lives because of the religious traditions that we hold so, so strongly to. That means that, you know, we went to the Philippines, and the very first time I we went to the Philippines, I was told by a uh, white paper tier that we were going we to go into the bars, <laughs> and we were going we to buy some girls out of there, and we were going to have a conversation with them and tell them that they, can, they don't need to, to do this. They can be free. They can have education. They have the love of Jesus. And I was like, whoa, whoa, that, that crosses a lot of lines at which I feel comfortable with. And after being there and doing that and, and experiencing that and seeing some of the girls come out and being able to go back and have those relationships and continue to further them and seeing the gospel move, I'm like, man, that is, that is unbelievable. That is amazing to see. But you know what's, what's crazy? Is that I had friends that when I came back, when I would talk about that, they're like, you did what? You went into a bar? You did, you did what? How, how could you? And they started adding this religious practice, this desire, this, this, this guardrail that they had in their life and started applying it across the country into another world where they didn't have any understanding of what those people were going through. And in their mind, they were right. And you know what? They probably were right in their own mind. But the problem is, is that's, that's just it. Jesus wasn't against holding the Sabbath. His point was, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. His point was, yeah, hold the Sabbath. Do that. That's good. Obey me. In fact, you love me when you obey me. This is what it's called. That's great. But stop using that stuff to justify your hate and lack of relationship with the people I created. And so today, when we 
do our Thanksgiving feast, and we have a bunch of nonprofits here and a bunch of different friends from all over the world and, and people that are, are in totally different life stages than us, I, I, think, I think it's another beautiful picture of us extending mercy, not to make our name known, but we were trying to find a venue, and I'm going to share a quick story about it, and then we'll, we'll close up. We were trying to find a venue for it, and, and the, where our offices are are just a couple blocks that way, and the building owner was... I'm going to let us use their space, and that's why it kept taking us longer. And then they finally said it won't work, and I was on the phone with him, and he's a very gregarious, outgoing person with, of a different faith than, than us. And he's like, I really think what you're doing is great, Brent. I was like, that's awesome, but I don't know where to do it. He's like, well, I'll tell you what. Let's do this. How about you go find a venue, you do it, and then just give me the bill, and I'll pay for it. I was like, Wow. He said, you know, we love people too. We just love differently than you. And I'm like, yeah, I guess you do. But thank you um, for that. And then I thought, how beautiful a picture of us, instead of being comfortably at a distance to go shovel or, or serve, which is valuable and important and it's good, and I'm so glad that we've been able to do it, but we're going to sit across the table and break bread with people of different faiths, different nationalities. It's being paid for someone by someone that doesn't believe in our Jesus that to me is a lot bigger picture of the kingdom. And, and I could go, well, wait, 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 wait. If he pays, <clears throat> well, I'm condoning his religion. And that, no, come on. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He just provided the money from someone else that would normally give it somewhere else. And so we have a, a non-Christian paying for this. We're doing it in a school where, if you know it's private, it's fairly um, different in their beliefs. There's a lot of wonderful, amazing people. We have people from the school that are showing up and that have donated food that are being a part of this. We have refugees from all over the world with different faiths and different beliefs, and we're all going to do this together. And the point isn't so that we can go, oh, man, we're awesome. The point is so that we can sit down, get across the table from someone, eat together, and enter into relationship as the same way that Jesus saw the man with the withered hand because he wasn't just a man with a withered hand. He was a face and a name, someone who God created that he knew. And I think the problem with us is that we love our religion and traditions so much that we justify not knowing the names and the individuals that were made in the image of God. And he has called us to enter into that. So today when we do that, um, I'm going to encourage you, not just today, but any day, to stop looking at people as things or means, but to start seeing them the way Jesus did, as an individual that is deserving of his love. An individual in need of his love is maybe the better way to say it. An individual in desperate, desperate need of the healing that comes through Christ Jesus. We pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. God, forgive us for, for, um, for hiding behind traditions. Forgive us for throwing a bunch of money at you and justifying a lack of relationship with you. Forgive us for um, studying the scriptures so much so that we can um, squash someone else and not love them. Forgive us for, for using uh, whatever tradition it may be, as beautiful as it is, the way you designed it. It was never intended to justify or cause us to hate and divide and, and, and be ugly. God, we know that your word will divide. We know that your truth 
is a double-edged sword, but we love to hide behind the fact that we can be the ones swinging it. <laughs> so God, I just pray that we would get out of the way. I pray that we would, we would allow ourselves to listen to the Spirit of God prompting us, listen to Him living in us that tells us, pull over, help that person. We'd stop looking at people as if they're just wanting a handout, and we start figuring out what it means to share them, um, the love of, of you. Haunted by the fact that you, you say that whatever we've done unto the least of these, we've done unto you. God, I pray that we would be able to look you in the eye someday and, and you could say, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you for, for doing your mercy. Thank you for, for extending my mercy um, as a part of your sacrifice. Father, we thank you for, for who you are. We thank you for your work. And I pray for, for the meal today of, of all the things that could go wrong because um, there will be plenty. Um, the food will be either cold or too hot or um, the many, many issues that come. I just thank you for the opportunity to do this. I thank you for Michelle and her heart to, to organize it, and I thank you for the people that are coming. I pray that this would be um, something that wouldn't be um, a way for us to glorify Rev's name, but it would be a way to bring incredible glory to your son, Jesus Christ. After the individuals are coming, I pray that we would actually enter into a conversation, a relationship, and it wouldn't be just a handout we begin to start breaking bread with one another, start learning um, what does it really truly mean to show your love um, and live out your love as a part of your truth as well. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.